0: What's up, everybody? It's Joe LaPuma. You were listening. You were watching the Complex Sneakers podcast. As always, I'm with my two co-hosts, my two guys. To my right, Mr. Matt Welty. Bright and early? Yep. Very early. No, nah, not that early. But we're here. To my left, Mr. Brendan Dunn.
1: It's early, but it's also late. because. Yep. And I'll put this PSA up top, as we usually try and do. We're actually recording this episode earlier than you're hearing it we recorded this a, a week before because i'm on vacation right now traveling yes. the world so we're where thinking ahead we're thinking ahead okay <laughs> yeah. so keep us
0: honest we're thinking ahead yeah.
1: and if some breaking sneaker news thing happened you know yes. as always we'll get to it the week after exactly where when he's back in the world is brendan Dunn. yeah where are we going are we going out of country <laughs> just give us a
0: hint out of country I'm, go-
1: I'm going out of the country okay i think i i think i discussed it with some This
0: man sky mile you diamond medallion yet i wit you know what come on
2: uh, you know what joe i'm not Are you gonna be drinking sake on a suzuki in oh o- wow in Osaka, that's where we're going in Osaka Bay? <laughs> you like how
1: like he's telling we just reference about he's me telling... like kind of not not really no, divulging he... my location to too many people and wealthy just um blew your spot just uh a little vacay to millions of viewers uh yeah i'll be on All vacation right. yeah so wow if maybe maybe we'll do a little bit of work while we're out there. If if,
0: if the hint is uh, what I'm what he's getting at,
2: well, look at it this way: if <laughs> if there's like members of uh, of our audience who go out of their way to travel to those extremes to mm-hmm. pop up on you, mm-hmm. take it as a badge of honor that they care about you. that <laughs> You much.
1: think oh, somebody's going to fly to Japan? Yeah, <laughs> just
0: that's what I didn't know that's why. I didn't know that's why uh, you do it. You, no, you don't want just, the fans. I'm just
2: a private person. <sighs> okay,
0: I get it. I get it uh big week this week obviously we're we're forecasting but this mm-hmm. week tiffany air force one release have yeah we just, came around we, we came we, around we'll on have, them? no no, no. Still i suspect
1: no. i suspect that that opinion of mine won't change due to due to the time of the episode dropping or okay. us recording no. i thought maybe still cheeks mm. you know what um trinidad in a recent episode of full size run that we were recording trinidad james our beloved co-host was suggesting that come the end of the year the uh the totally biased and out of touch minds that complex sneakers would decide that somehow the Tiffany air force one was a top 10 shoe of the oh. year. And I, I got it because, because he, he felt the same way about us. I think selecting the Louis Vuitton air force. Yeah, one. I, I, I'm, I'm saying this right now. It's not happening. We're not. And, and hold me to it again, please audience keep us, keep us accountable. I will fight tooth and nail to make sure that the Tiffany air force one is no way wow. near the bubble. Wow. For the okay. top 10 sneakers of the oh. year list.
0: It's going to be a talking (laughs) point. Here we are in March. Here we are in March.
1: Here's the chance
2: to finally address it and then put it to bed forever. Oh my God! What's what's more egregious if the Tiffany Air Force One makes our top Uh ten, or the fact that the DJ Khaled Air Jordan Five made the top ten and how high it went? (laughs) This is an agenda of his. No, it just it's
1: like. (sighs) I think. A Khaled 5 has more.
0: But the Khaled 5 didn't make the complex list. No, the on the on the sneaker. The, the, oh, I bet um on the panel it'll, I bet the Tiffany will
1: sneak in. We'll, we'll, we'll creep up there. It won't be on our, I promise, I promise you our faithful audience. We'll
0: see. We'll see. There's some fight. people in that slack. I, I don't know. Fight. If we took a, <laughs> if we took a tally, I don't know. It's just you guys, you two. We'll see if it's. We'll I don't see. think it's just us two. I think other people, I don't think there's that many people who are super. There's people it. who like it. Some of our colleagues. I mean, Zach likes the shoe, and that's Ben likes it. it. I like it. That's three, three versus no, that's, two already. No, 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 no,
1: no, no. And again, I feel silly even talking about sneakers of the year. Here we are in the yeah. middle of March. You got a long here. way to what go. Recording this at the end of February. A debate for another day. You want, day. To, you want yeah, to know what's absolutely. way
2: better than that shoe already off the top? What?
1: what? Those. Bam, oh, bam.
2: Wow. Yeah, yeah. I feel like bounces, um, you Action guys, Bronson.
0: Last week, you guys wore, you guys wore it on the FSR episode. A classic. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Listen
1: generous Did, uh, this morning
0: any deep dives from action you know he likes to bring up some like deep dive oh, the cool thing was
1: up. him talking about his mother getting new Balance. new balances from some some store in long island right wealthy was talk, it? he had to talk about it just because of wide foot i think he talked about that on his
2: original sneaker shopping mm. episode mm.
0: yeah i love these like we always said a
1: lot of different colors but it works yeah my friend uh my friend aaron helped out with aaron ours. thanks so much appreciate yeah. it yeah, Good stuck up
2: being a Crocs influencer. <laughs> he was early
0: on the Crocs. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, Did you bring up Babylon Meat Market? No, right? Um, that's where he was no. for the Fuck
1: That's Delicious. It's a town over from me. Oh, yeah. Um. What's What's that place all about? Was that the that's one with the steaks? It was the
0: one. The on recent the one. one, yeah, it was, where he yeah, yeah, took all the ago, meat out on the street. Yeah. Have you
1: been there, Babylon Meat
0: Market? Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a uh, Yeah, I've been there, but it's it, that's where the train station is, where like we come to the city. So Babylon is like right over from Bayshore, basically two towns over, Pop
1: and Main Street. Any good, good sneaker spots there? No. No. Never have been? No. Um, no. Did you see Babylon, the movie? No. Because this will be airing right around the time of the Oscars, I think. Oh, okay. I
0: no, like, I didn't see that. I feel no. like
1: you were like a big like Babylon 5 guy growing up. In <laughs> <devil>. <laughs> 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 uh, no, what? Remind me what Babylon 5 is. It's like a, I guess it was like a fake Star Trek sort of show. Oh. No, I've never seen an episode no. of Star Trek. How's that? I've never seen an episode of Star really? Trek either. Yeah. Huh. Um, what about Sequest? Do you guys remember Sequest? Sorry, what? Sequest? No.
2: It sounds familiar, but I don't remember. <laughs> we're on fire today. Yeah, wow. Really brilliant. <laughs> How at, many, do you remember this? Do you remember that? We're on fire today. Oh, here's a, here's a uh, good moment. So this morning I'm coming here, right? Mm-hmm. And I get to where the train station is and there's a 7 Not 11. Babylon. Not Babylon, yeah. There's a, a 7-Eleven there and I have to make a split decision saying, am I going <laughs> to go into the 7-Eleven? <laughs> no. I love this. Am I going to go into the 7-Eleven <laughs> and get a – Protein bar and Gatorade, or am I just going to wait till I like, get to the office?
1: Right, and eat some of the free snacks that are here.
2: Yeah, so I make the decision to go into the Seven Eleven and get the Gatorade and protein bar.
1: What color Gatorade?
2: Uh, it's like the new one. It's like the. Uh... Is a new Gatorade out? I like the orange, but I feel like people don't like orange. I thought orange was the classic it's like OG. More of like it's. I forget what it's called. It's like Gator Light. It's more of like a sports recovery drink okay. than the original yeah. one. Anyways, Gator Fuel. Anyways, so as I'm walking out, walk past someone who goes hey man love the show right which is always super cool moment right mm-hmm. and as we're going into a long day recording multiple episodes it was like a weird like mm-hmm. a realization moment where it gives you the motivation to do everything we do mm-hmm. but if i don't go into the Seven Eleven, yeah you missed and moment. then that interaction doesn't happen so in the back of my head it's kind of one of those weird moments where you're like everything like happens on purpose or butterfly
1: effect yeah
2: where you're like wow it's like if i just don't Go into the store. I don't have that interaction, and it yeah. doesn't give me like that. Not that I don't have the internal motivation, yeah. but it gave me that weird internal motivation. You were that I needed letting today. off some
0: steam last night too. What, what type of pull-ups were those? Save the video, please.
2: Oh, it's called—they're called butterfly pull-ups. Oh, what does that work? It's just—it's just meant to go faster. Butterfly effect. Oh. It's all tied. So really? If you're doing the workout for time, it's just you can Thrusting. do them faster. Okay. Yeah, that was a late workout for you. Yeah, well, we were—we were in the office. We were in the
1: office early yesterday, Been shooting yeah. nonstop. So. Had to – got to cram it in where you can cram it in, right? Yeah, true. Up. Yeah. Did, were you listening to this conversation Welty and I were having about the, the value of pull-ups? No. When was that? This was this morning. The, no, I wasn't here. And
0: – I wasn't, I, I wasn't uh, around you guys for that.
1: Welty and I were talking about running. And, you know, I'm – Yeah, you're a runner. I'm a runner. If, if, if I'm doing any physical activity, it's running. Hmm. And Welty seemed just generally nonplussed or not, you know – not feeling like that had any intrinsic value to it. I didn't it. say that it didn't. You I, didn't. You didn't. I just said that but it just it like, just felt like that's how you
2: – What I said was is that I'd, it's not like uh, just being able to run fast mm-hmm. or just being able to run itself. Is it an overall gauge of fitness? Because say – my, my quote was, say it's th- – This it's, is incredible. This, say, is, this is an incredible insight say, into how your say mind it's works. 30,000 BC, right? Yeah. Oh, and you're with the family unit and you're getting chased by uh, – a saber-toothed tiger, right? Right. Wow. Joe, can you picture it? Okay. You know, you can run. Maybe you can try to outrun it, but you get to a point where, like, there's a wall and you have to climb the wall to save your family, right? Yeah. Right. You can just run super well, but you don't
1: have any upper body strength to climb over the wall <laughs> to bring yourself to safety. <laughs> well, if it, it is, you know, you know if it gonna is a wall. You know what's going to happen? Is it is We're it like dead. the Space Odyssey wall? Is, you think, or we what hearing? if you outrun
0: it, though, forever?
1: Yeah, that's not going to happen. But let me ask you this. If you only do the pull-ups... You never ran to the yeah. wall. The saber-toothed tiger. Well, who argument? says you? Who said you're only doing the pull-ups? Why don't you do both? Oh, that's different. <laughs> that's that's that's, not, that's, that's a different. That's, re- that's
2: the whole. Well, that's the yeah, whole argument. Just, is doing all of it. No, I'm but not the saying that. Argument is one happen. or just, the other. No, I'm not. I'm not saying oh. it's one or the other. I'm saying oh. you can't just focus on one thing. Hmm. Got it. Wow. You can't just sit on a bike forever and just uh, okay. expect to.
0: Wow. Well, look at the conversations that happen when I'm not around. <laughs>
2: Hey, man, these are these are the conversations of like actual value. Are they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. I mean, we could talk about a Drake song or we can talk about how you're going to save your family unit in case like some like the worst happens. I mean, I don't know which one actually has more value to your life. But <laughs> yeah, can, the saber
0: tooth tiger is really, really good.
1: 30,000 hypothetical situation. I mean, maybe 30, with his travels.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe with his travels. I don't know. He's in some of it, but I'm not I'm going I'm on a party for sure. Yeah,
1: I'm not around them. <sighs> <laughs> snowy day here in new york i, yeah. brought, I brought out some beaters me too I, I was actually stressed out being like what it's been so relatively nice in yeah. new york weather-wise over the past few months i feel like i don't have a lot of beaters in rotation now like a couple of years ago it would have just been the same dusty white reeboks you know yeah. crinkled up but I'm kind of off that right now. And I was like, what, what sneakers do I wear in the snow I'm, in 2023? I'm disappointed because I have a pair of uh, Add some Merrells mm-hmm. that are like Gore-Tex.
2: Yeah. And they're like literally at the bottom of my sneaker stack. And I'm like, oh, it's finally the weather to wear them. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, if I take them out this morning, like 17 boxes are going to fall <laughs> yeah. over. You
1: didn't do it. No,
2: this is also the weather that it's like not it's slush.
0: So like, you know, the ACG mountain flies would have been a good go to. I didn't bring them out, though. Yeah, that would have been the one. Yeah, I had these waiting at the office, so I changed into them. But I did Black Cat 4s, the beaters that you're going to see in the episode before this.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I was trying to think about is like the shoe I'm wearing right now. You know, we'll we'll talk about it in more detail later. Mm -hmm. But you know, Black Cat Jordan 3s with the Jumpman on the back, I'm like, oh, are these old enough to where I have to start worrying about them falling apart?
0: Black Cat Jordan 3s?
1: Did I say that? Yeah. Sorry, Black Cement Jordan 3s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse yeah. me, excuse me. From the Black Cat man himself. Of getting course. fact-checked over here. Of but course. like, Although
2: there were Black Cat Jordan 3s. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But with the patent leather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like not for me, not for me. But like, I don't know. I'm just like, do I need to go through all the shoes I own and assess which stuff it's time to start wearing? No, I don't think you do that. I think you just you just keep everything on ice
0: no no you when you wear them there's a shot that it's going to fall apart but i think it would be really what are you going to do just keep putting your foot in <laughs> shoes or examine them with with uh rubber maybe, gloves maybe
1: that's it maybe no I you some, just have to you, know?
0: you just have to take the risk there's some. there's a lot of shoes that i have that i'm worried like oh maybe one day it's gonna or when i wear them it's gonna fall apart but i think if you go through them
1: but do you think that there's grail level stuff that you have yeah now that is starting to get old enough 15 20 years old that if you don't wear them for another five years that first wear may be something where they crumble
0: yeah and that's why i think i curbed going back fully for shoes that will fall apart grails you know yeah, no point yeah they're, you they're don't re- go back and get those old I, shoes i did a lot I did a lot, the lot in the last few years but it's just it, it's there's no point now um which is like interesting because a counterpoint of like Getting the shoe, you know, we always talk about how if you don't get the shoes in your size, then it doesn't count. Going for back. collecting, yeah. but if the, if you're collecting them and they're not, you're not going to wear them. What's the difference? If they're going to fall apart, and you just want to have them, you mm-hmm. just want to bring them out of the look box, at them. look yeah. at them, and be like, I have these.
2: Here's a here's a, I guess a great. Uh, Does it involve a saber tooth tiger? No, <laughs> but um, I mean, you could you could substitute a saber tooth tiger for an actual tiger, so. You could, okay. you, 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 you could you could you could, you could okay. sub it for a car that's chasing you down the street.
1: Or Whoa! Yeah, this is my real life, man. Yeah, You're trying to give me flashbacks here. A I car was mean, chasing me could down just the
0: street. Outrun it and go down an alley where the car can't go. I mean, actually,
1: on. when I'm driving the Mini Cooper, I could go down the alley. I no. could do a 180 handbrake turn and just slide in. There. I Sorry, find, I would find a, well, anyway, the. What was the situation we you were setting up here? Is this present day, or are we in 30,000 BC? No,
2: I mean, well, anyways, I think you should be prepared for any situation in life. Okay. regardless of anything thank you so many, yeah.
1: so many nuggets of wisdom
2: anyways r.i.p our friend gary warnett on the complex sneaker of the year discussion yep. videos he had made a comment this where 2013 years ago uh, yeah. 2013 where the shoe that got put on the top 10 of the year list was the lebron cork 10s mm. and i think i nick, remember this i think nick i, DePa- I think nick de was making who he loves those sort of like basketball shoes or whatever was making a strong case that like this shoe is awesome it's the best representation of a lebron shoe storytelling and all that sort of stuff and gary's like yeah but you can't wear the shoe it falls apart it's made of cork you know and then like like and then the the adverse part was like oh but you know you can get it and you can put on your mantle and he goes
1: what do i look like someone who owns a sneaker museum yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i don't want yeah i mean shoes to just Put them on display.
0: But like the Zoom Citizen, I'm happy I have. I probably
1: can't wear those. Yeah, there's things like that. You know, there's definitely some that... Let me ask you this. When it gets to the crumbling period, are you throwing them away at that point? Or are you still holding on to them in a box? Uh
0: If they crumble, probably throwing them away. Or them? if one
2: crumbles, maybe just keeping one and throwing
1: the well, other. Wealthy, you? Just you? can't
2: wear them. I mean, I'll keep the shoe. I'm not going to toss it. Like, I'm yeah. not, not going to do that. But I'm just not going to spend my time, energy, and resources on things that, like aren't going to add any value to my sneaker experience or whatever you want to call it. To be honest,
0: like I always think of like if I was ever to film my collection one day, I want to have these. Yeah, even Even if if they're they're falling apart. apart, Yeah, even if
2: I could just bring it out and it's not my size. I mean, maybe 20 years down the road where like I'm not living in a two-bedroom apartment and have all this sort of space Mm -hmm. where like maybe Mm -hmm. things are more spread out and the sneaker boxes aren't all stacked up. But at this point, just getting some sort of shoe that I can't wear or like never will wear and just like stuffing it. In the bottom of a pile that like maybe someone comes over my apartment and like I'm like yank it out and everything falls over and be like, hey, look at this old pair of shoes that I can't wear like or just take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. Like, yeah, that's the really the only worth you
1: have of it. I mean, it's these moments that make you question. What are we? There's a lot. What are we really doing? There's a lot. Yeah, because I there's definitely at least one and i've probably spoken about them on here before but like an og black and neon pair of air max 97s i have that are just crumbled yeah and the box is sitting there but i'm not gonna throw them out like i paid no, money no, no, for no, these at one point you know that's, like that's fine i just think like
2: chasing those things is yeah like your number one priority is like your. Your time's misplaced. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I also think if you have a display, or like you, like you said, if you have like a closet that you could display them, it's different.
1: Yeah. You know. But it's even like it's it's shifting up the timeline for the stuff that you could reasonably go back and get. Of like, there's a bunch of Air Max ones I want from the first part of the last decade. You know, Pada Para Cherrywood Air Max ones. Are we getting to the point? on the timeline where spending money on even something like that is is not going to be worth it maybe i mean for me it's not gonna be worth it because those shoes are too expensive at this point but imagine you buy a a shoe from that recent of a period and it crumbles on you
2: some people like they really like get off on the sneaker side of like having all that sort of stuff yeah i I totally get that like there's certain people who like want to be like vintage historians and, our friend kevin loister yeah, I yeah totally that. that's, really that's like what stuff. their thing is like yeah. their whole like uh thing that satisfies them within shoes is hunting down these grails and getting all of that right but then if that's not you you know like if that's not your mo yeah. i feel like When early on in shoes, you want to get all these rare shoes and you want to collect all your grails and all that sort of stuff. You want to be the guy
1: who owns 600 people. But I feel like
2: maybe as time goes on and you've been collecting sneakers for 20 years, like the reality starts to set in on all of it where you're like, hey, you know what? I already have a couple hundred pairs of shoes. Not that I don't need anymore, but like maybe I should get the things that I want or maybe your habits change. Or maybe I don't need to buy as much or maybe there's other things in life that I can focus on and still be all about sneakers, but not have my whole life revolve around chasing down a pair of shoes from like 1992 yeah or like 10
1: a year 10 years that the number you're giving yourself like just think 10 of like new ones or 10 old ones
0: no 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 like stopping stop going back and getting older ones and just getting
1: 10 a year and, and I mean, it's just one. all 10 of the shoes from the complex the yeah community. like that's yes. an
0: interesting experiment honestly it's like 10 a year This like you know and then if you want yeah, ten new ones a year, I think. And I think that that sounds like a lot, though, right? Or
2: no,
1: it's well, not. If you're buying like three thousand dollar Grails, right? Like no, no, like it a, wouldn't be like that, like that. You're talking Hard. about new releases, yeah? yeah. yeah oh, okay, if it's like okay. new releases, I, I bet like, I could. I bet I could limit myself to ten new releases, and then a year. you have
0: maybe yeah, like twenty five. And you have so many, many other shoes that you don't realize grails. that you don't wear. Oh, there's you know? so and many. And it's just
2: like you can so many shoes you can cycle through. There's so many. I think it's one of the quotes like early on, and when started writing about shoes that we always go that always kind of go back to where it's like. The amount of shoes that you own doesn't like define like how big of a sneaker head you are, like totally. all the time. Yeah. Like you can be someone who has like three hundred pairs of shoes, but your whole experience with sneakers is just going into Foot Locker every weekend and picking something off the shelf and like not really knowing what it is and just throwing it randomly in the pile. Mm-hmm. And you can be a person who only owns eight pairs of shoes, but every single shoe, you know, every single tidbit and every facet yeah. and like you yeah. value everything you wear. And I would argue that that personally has the eight pair of shoes is a bigger sneaker head than the person who's just like addicted to having a new pair of shoes on their feet.
0: I don't know if I would like you you could argue it. You could argue anything. You will argue anything, which I get. But I don't know if it's like split down the middle thing. I would say for us, though, like for me, I guess where it's like tough is like buying a pair of shoes for an episode outward facing. It changes everything for work. Yeah. Like I may only wear them once or twice, but I know it's for an episode that like means a lot to to Mm -hmm. me.
1: And yeah. especially we feel compelled to wear a different pairs exactly. every week. Exactly. But it would be
0: interesting week. to do 10 like you know, you throw in like a new Solomon, you throw in these, you throw in a Jordan that you really want for the year, a dunk that you
1: really want for the year. Uh, should we do that challenge? How would we do that? I mean, have you kept track of how many new shoes you bought this year already? I think I don't think I bought more than two. And you can't go back and get so older
0: far. ones. That's the thing. New releases. Yeah, I could I could do that. That'd be interesting to do. Maybe as we get older.
1: <laughs> we're certainly getting older. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but we're still here.
1: Yeah. We're, we're, we're still here. We're not going anywhere other than occasionally on vacation where yeah, I am now. Which, but um, enjoy. Um, you know who else is here? We have a very special guest with us today. I, I kind of made this comment a couple weeks back yeah, about know, we need more exactly. execs on the show. You know, yeah. we need the, the head honchos, the captains of industry in this thing to come by. We're still missing somebody big from Nike. Okay. A lot of the other brands have given us their time, and we have somebody today who's giving us his time. Absolutely.
0: Our guest on today's podcast is an executive whose expertise led him to hold titles of the president of event ticket juggernaut StubHub before going on to become the senior vice president of the U.S. arm of eBay. In 2019, his latest job brought him front and center into the sneaker marketplace when he took over as chief executive officer of StockX. Today, we dig into all the recent headlines, the state of reselling, and more with StockX CEO Scott Cutler. Scott, welcome. Thanks so much for joining. Awesome to be here. A lot to get into, but first, let's... uh, Start with what everyone's wearing. One of my favorites, you have on
3: Nike Craft, Tom Sachs, Mars Yard, two You have my, my snowshoes for today in New York. <laughs> wow, yeah. Some, <laughs> you know, Tom Sachs wants you to <laughs> beat them, so <laughs> you,
2: didn't, you didn't want to break out the actual Tom Sachs
1: snowshoes. Oh, right, the overshoe. <laughs> the no, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: That's right. That would have been better. <laughs> yeah.
1: You had these on courtside at a jazz game recently, right?
3: Yeah, actually, yeah, it's a good point. I did just yeah. just last week the uh, the bear showed me a pair of customized sneakers that he had. I was wearing them. That's a good call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Are you, did you wear these to Curry Favor sitting next to the oh. Tom Sachs guy?
0: Yeah, they claim no, he's I the Tom Sachs guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that right? You didn't know that because it's not a real thing. No, I didn't yeah, know that. There's yeah, exactly. This, there's this narrative that my co-host has uh, kind of put out there that I am the Tom Sachs guy. Or that, oh, really? Know, I'm okay. such a giant Tom Sachs fan. So
3: That's a lot of pressure to kind of pick the right thing to wear today, you know, <laughs> but... Apparently, with those. Apparently, you yeah. did it right. Um,
1: yeah. I, I, my only like thought was just, again, like we spoke on earlier, not, um, not uh, getting my sneakers too messed up in the snow. So I'm wearing an old pair of beaters uh, Air Jordan 3 Black Cement. Oh. Jumpman on the back.
0: Classic. Uh, I changed my shoes as I came to the office. I did not wear these in the snow. These are the Action Bronson New Balance Collab 990 V6.
2: They came in for you? Yeah, right. they came in. Shouts to Aaron. Mm-hmm. Shouts to
0: action We'll see what you got
2: uh, These are friend Frank Cook uh, Saucony Jazz 81 The thing I like is Insole It says I just need to read it oh, Taking your shoes off Yeah I know yeah, these cozy. don't Make yourself comfortable <laughs> Yeah, We have a guest Qu- though Quote on the g- inside I just <laughs> want to read the quote okay. It says I know these don't go With all my school clothes Mom and dad But I still need them 7th grade Frank Cook Beautiful. I
1: Thank well, you for. I, I
3: will tell you something about the jazz, though, is that I no, the jazz my... the basketball team. No, or the soccer no yeah. okay, Saucony sock- yeah. Jazz. I ran my first marathon in a pair of Saucony Jazz, and I trained in the snow, and it's a great snowshoe. Really? really, it's a great, well, it's a the, great the, shoe to run in, the, and the, I actually. The on the bottom. So lo- I ran the Seattle Marathon in those, and it's a great, it's a great running shoe. Wow! What, what was your time, if I may ask? Well, I, I my goal was to beat a 330, and yeah. I ran a 319. Oh, wow. Would you run That's in these right. now? No. What's that? Would you run in those now, a marathon? I w- I, actually, I would. It was a great. I mean, <laughs> I, train, I would train massively in those. I had yeah. no injuries, and it was Interesting. A great. Interesting. It was a great running shoe. What's your go-to running shoe these days? Um, you know, I've been a ASICS guy for a long time mm-hmm. for, for marathon training. Kion, uh or? The gel count of the 2018s, and mm-hmm. 2030s. I mean, just yeah, yeah, yeah. go back into those, but... Um, you yeah, like the plated like shoes, like
1: the carbon carbon fiber plate in there. You like like that like the vapors? Yeah,
3: I've run in them and it's, it's it's great. It's light and they're fast. Um, but I'm not I'm not setting any speed records these days. Okay.
0: Kayano was a big cross country shoe for yours truly as well.
3: Really? Yeah, Asics. Okay. I you know since changeover air max 270 but um
0: <laughs> not
1: an no. exercise shit. no
3: no but my first as we talked about before i was a i was i was big into running and track but i ran in tigers of all things when i was a kid oh, you're so good. my spikes were tigers did, wow. you, did you get Ren sold tigers. them by phil knight directly i don't know it's a, I good, know. It's a yeah. good it's a good, it's a good question you, you but know. i just remember it was a it was a blue like a royal blue and white tiger wow and that was right. that was the spike to have. <laughs> yeah and you grew, like well you mentioned you you may have gotten a pair from phil Knight. Maybe you grew, you grew did, up in
1: maybe, oregon maybe right? so maybe <laughs> so <laughs> i gotta say also i'm impressed by the marathon time but before you came on here we were discussing the actual practical use of marathons and i didn't i didn't say
2: i said <laughs> what i said <laughs> oh, is, is that there's a it. difference <laughs> between this all oh, we go of it is that if all you do is run <laughs> which is you, me. yeah all you do is run you don't build up any physical strength then like the running's almost like for not, for not. his opinion, not my opinion, right? No, runnings thinking. for not. If you can't pick up hundred pounds off the ground, but oh. you can run a marathon, it's like, yeah. Tell him the story about the same exact no, 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 no. I'm just uh, saying, if you can't pick up, if you can't take out the trash, something heavy, you can't help your your cousin move his couch, but you can run a marathon. It's like, I'm not saying the marathon isn't impressive. It's just you need to be able to do both. That's
3: all. <laughs> all right. That's all. Yeah, you need. I mean, yeah, you need to be fit physically, but. Yeah. A running a marathon is uh, taxing on the body.
1: Yeah, for those of us who do it well, too. Yeah. So, you know, pay your respects. <laughs> Let's see you deadlift. <laughs> yeah, see? All of a sudden, he does, he does
0: some deadlifts, and now he's Seth Rollins. All right, all enough right. of that. We got a lot of stuff to get into. Digging into your history a little bit, you know, I saw StubHub, which obviously everyone's super familiar with. But I want to ask, like... How did like StubHub and, and that role prepare you for like what you're doing now with StockX? And, and maybe if you could talk about the StubHub days a little bit and, you know, the knowledge you got there and, and maybe
3: like how you applied it. So I originally came across StockX on day one, the very first press release. Oh. And pr- prior to StubHub, I had been spent almost a decade at the New York Stock Exchange, mm-hmm. then StubHub, and then eBay. then eBay. When StockX was launched, uh, Josh and Greg and Dan put out a press release saying they wanted to create the next new marketplace based on the principles of the New York Stock Exchange, StubHub, and eBay. Who um, were they targeting? And I sent a LinkedIn message to Josh, and I said, you know, at the time I was CEO at StubHub, uh, I said, there's one person in the world who knows exactly what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'd love to invest, which which I did, and I'd love to help you, and I had... You know, been an advisor of sorts uh, to them for for a few years or three years before I before I joined. So um, to me, it's always StockX is serendipitous to aspects of my career, but you know, specific to, to to StubHub. These are all marketplaces; they're all two-sided marketplaces, buyers and sellers. I came into StubHub after 17 years of its history, mm. and um, and it was and it was and it was a time where um, I felt as though coming in, there was a lot of things that I learned from the exchange that I could apply to StubHub in the pricing of, of tickets. But it was also a time where there was an opportunity to dive deeper into the relationships in the industry, which led to some really strong partnerships that, that we created with, uh, with Major League Baseball, with, with the Yankees, with um, a lot of the teams and leagues. And, um, and so I guess my time there was really... Uh, the expansion of that marketplace globally, but also a time of you know partnerships with the original you know creators and distributors of the, of the content.
1: Did you touch the sneaker business
3: at all at eBay? I ran all uh, North American marketplaces so yeah. across all across all categories. And yeah. so in that you know in that in that capacity, you know oversaw the entire the entire marketplace. Yeah, I
1: just wasn't sure if at that high of a level, like how much you were aware of, you know, what eBay's goals and targets were in sneakers, or what the the tough points. Yeah, were. I mean,
3: yeah, I mean, again, all of that was was under my uh, under my purview at the time for a brief period of time. StubHub then reported up to me when I moved over to eBay because mm-hmm. eBay obviously owned StubHub. Yeah, and um, you know, but what was what was interesting, I guess, when you compare and contrast, you know, StubHub to the a listings based marketplace, uh, eBay was just more that even at that time, there was eBay tickets and there was StubHub. Mm -hmm. Um, StubHub being an organized, structured marketplace where here's the event, here's the section, here's the seat, here's everything you need to know you can get in and out of buying a ticket to an event very simply, easily. Whereas if you went into a listings-based experience, you had to do all the work to try and find the same thing. So one instance, you could buy it in a a second, the other you had to do the work. And so that was kind of a similar analogy early on, I guess, um, in you know, in StockX was really creating structure around an unstructured listings-based experience right. and turning it into a product experience. And then also very similar to kind of the New York Stock Exchange was how you put pricing, a, a bid and ask, and a marketplace aspect to it for pricing transparency, which is different even still today than Really, any marketplace. I, I mean, early on, you mentioned, you know, like running shoes
2: and, and whatnot. But how, like, cognizant or into like sneaker culture were you pre StockX?
3: Yeah, I was. I was into it before. Um, uh, when I was at when I was at StubHub, people, you know, knew me for what sneakers I was wearing. Um, I I I I you know date my own history way back to the pre Jordan era my uh my first pair of sneakers that I could never get was the Adidas Top 10 mm. and that actually was my first sneaker that I bought when when I could was that go for and playing basketball it. specifically yeah it was for playing basketball and yeah. i mean, it actually was a 64 dollar sneaker then and uh, my parents we couldn't afford it so i, I had to i'd wear ponies yeah <laughs> so. Undertake, fun fact the undertaker's yeah. first uh, good shoe Adidas Top 10 back yeah. in the day well, i mean that Those was the, that yeah. was the yeah. sneaker and then yeah. you know so you know even as a as a kid i played basketball i ran sneakers shoes and i guess in the shadow of of in in portland it was always you know kind of part of my life but um i was very familiar with 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 sneakers and and an enthusiast prior to taking the job yeah
0: you know during that time at ebay i think it was almost like a year and a half or so yeah when you got that title but it was like 2017 and I feel like twenty seventeen was it was right when like the ten was releasing and things like that. Did you see some of like the releases during that year and that time at eBay that you wanted to even more like explore more sneakers because
3: that was such like a big year for releases or or what? So you know it, it, when you when you look at marketplaces, I think one of the one of the challenge in marketplaces is that listings based model is you're selling one thing at a time and so it really represents one item from a seller and there's a ton of friction to sell a product in a listings based experience because you've got to upload an image a description mm-hmm. uh, you know you do just a lot of work yeah, to create that a lot and of if you're a, yeah and if you're a buyer you've got to do the same you've got to search through all these things and so releases per se on a platform like that aren't really a big driver got it you know, essentially have been better known for used things and used items but one of ones um StockX is not a one-of-one one marketplace and mm-hmm. it never has been it's a marketplace where you'd say hey you know you know that this this tom sack sneaker we're going to create a product page and all you have to do to sell or buy against it is say what you're willing to buy and sell it for i don't I don't have to do any work as a seller or a buyer, but it's very structured. And I can get in and out of that experience very, very quickly, within seconds, if mm-hmm. you really wanted to. And it's just a simpler buying and selling experience. But it's also a very different experience than you know most other marketplaces. Yeah.
1: I feel like one of the things that really separates StockX from eBay, too, is there is or at least there was then the distinction eBay now has its own uh, sneaker authentication thing but this distinction of we're StockX and you can trust us to authenticate this stuff and and I feel like that alone kind of asserted StockX as a cultural company to an extent of we understand sneakers more than an eBay is saying they understand sneakers so just kind of like based off that alone did you feel like even though you were a sneaker person and you're a person who had sneakers and knew the importance of them as a kid did you feel like you had to kind of inform yourself better on sneaker culture, you know, like why a Tom Sachs shoe is important or why we have millions of kids buying and selling Jordan ones?
3: Well, I mean, what's fascinating about the market is the market tells you what is heat, what's hot. Mm -hmm. And so particularly as a marketplace of current culture, StockX should always reflect that uh, in terms of what something is worth, what something should trade for. And you know what I thought was innovative when I first saw it was more actually the pricing aspect mm. of the of the product because you know I think you know kind of before StockX came around you had to do a lot of work to really understand what's the value of this of this item and then yeah. all of a sudden we you would had, just
1: go to Flight Club right like back in the yeah. day to try and figure out how
2: yeah. much or Nike, the barometer t- Nike
3: Talk like yeah you know, Nike buy, Talk buy sell thread but anyway so but having that place where you knew something what the value of that was and you could look at it in a price histogram, right. a price chart say, oh, this is actually what this should trade for if yeah. I'm buying or selling it. That was big innovation at the time. Yeah. Um, also a big innovation to stand in the middle of a transaction to say in between a seller and a buyer, uh, we're going to verify uh, this this product. Mm-hmm. That's not possible in a marketplace that's peer-to-peer where the marketplace does nothing to stand in, in between the buyer and the seller, which is still most of the case for almost all marketplaces, sure. even still today. So both of those aspects t- together led to a uh, a platform that was highly recognized and still recognized for, I wanna go to find the price uh, guide right. and what the value of a product is, and then I actually have a seamless buying and selling experience that's trusted, has a high degree of trust relative to other opportunities was, yeah, again, the founding principles of what StockX, you know, would become.
1: Yeah.
2: How much do you think that previous CEO and co-founder Josh Luber, being someone who was super into the sneaker space, I mean, obviously, he had the Campless blog, where he mm-hmm. was yeah. really invested in the sneaker culture, lended that credibility to StockX within sneaker
3: culture? Yeah, I think if you were to talk to, you know, the other Co-founders, because there's a group of of founders that um, you know that started the company. Uh, Greg Schwartz, who's our COO today, co-founder of the company. You know, I think um, at that at that time with Campless, uh, Josh did have a lot of credibility, and, yeah. and and still has a lot of credibility. Came in um, as the person who is going to be the front man for the for the story, and yeah. you know, I think obviously Dan Gilbert was was involved in founding the company as well. But you needed somebody to be out in front that had credibility in the sneaker culture um, as the company was really starting and growing.
1: Yeah. But again, did you feel like you had to kind of figure that out when you came over, you know, just in terms of like the sneaker culture aspect? Yeah. uh,
3: No, no, not at all. Because I mean, to me, Marketplaces, relationship with sellers, have really been just part of my, you know, part of my career for a while before it. Yeah, a, you know, kind of a different, different group. But I also worked really closely with Greg and Josh as they built out the company in the early days to say, hey, here are the things that you might want to think about from a product and a tech and operations perspective, because I had seen things at massive scale mm-hmm. all the way up to the New York Stock Exchange in terms of what it takes to run complex systems at scale. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, I wouldn't have been like OG cred in sneaker culture Mm. at that time. But, um, you know, I had uh, a real deep understanding of marketplaces and how, you know, they need to operate.
1: What were the things when you first got there that you were like, we need to fix this or these are the things that StockX still needs to figure out?
3: Well, I mean, if you look at the, I mean, the last four years have been an amazing, Growth journey for mm-hmm. StockX. Um, we've expanded around the world. I think when I came there, we had four authentication centers. We had just opened up London. Now we have fourteen authentication centers around the world, uh, faraway places, Australia, Tokyo, Seoul, places in Europe. We just opened Mexico City, um, and so expanding globally was obviously one. And then, mm-hmm. and then expanding to the scale in which we're operating today. You know, we're we're just coming off of a, a record year of, of of trades, record year of revenue. But when you look at the, what that takes to support that, you know, we're verifying over a million products a month mm-hmm. uh, on the platform, and the the operations to be able to support that experience, that simple experience, or that promise sure. that we give to the both buyer and seller globally requires uh, significant investment in in the technology and the platform and the infrastructure to support now a globally scaled marketplace business. You talk about the
0: verification process and like um how you know I think that it's it's tech driven but obviously the biggest thing is also human driven like how hard was that during the pandemic
3: to like the human aspect of the verification process? So the verification process has, has been a part of StockX since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. It was just simply the premise that um, we wanted to have a very consistent buying experience on on StockX. And so we needed to stand in the middle of that transaction and, and wanted to create a model to verify every product. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was always the founding principle at StockX. In order to do that at scale, you know, the verification is a is a is a process, mm-hmm. and so it's a process that's both the people at the center of that, the authenticators, as well as AI and machine learning on the data of what we know about that product coming in, as well as all the decisions about how we get that product and get it to the consumer quickly. Um, scaling during the pandemic, you know, we were um, obviously like a lot of e-commerce. Uh, growing incredibly fast Uh, and the stimulus uh, was spent in many respects on asset classes like sneakers. Mm -hmm. And during the pandemic, we opened up operations um, in faraway places with teams that we had never been able to meet, facilities that we couldn't go to, and on the culture and on the technology backbone of StockX And and we grew. More than half of our team members today were hired during the pandemic and so, we had to scale all of that um, during a time of exceptional growth and exceptional global growth, and that was also sort of a balance of frontline team members uh, there in our in our authentication centers, as well as managing a remote workforce during a crazy time yeah. of the of the pandemic. So it's like this, you know, the boom associated with stimulus, but also the challenges of operating a global company in the pandemic. Yeah. You mentioned StockX not really being like the one-off
2: um, sneaker experience kind of like eBay is, but I feel like one of the pain points I've heard a lot of like buyers and sellers kind of uh, mention is that when it comes to like rarer shoes, when it comes to StockX and it's like an Air Jordan 1 release or, you know, a Nike Dunk, it's like that sort of stuff can get um, authenticated by anyone who kind of knows about it but if you someone sends an you know, old nike sb dunk or like a playstation air force one or like a air jordan sample that you're trying to verify i mean i've talked to people at StockX where there's so few people within the actual stock x ecosphere who can like actually look at that shoe and tell you this is real or not because the average employee doesn't have like the knowledge to do that and some of the sellers have had issues where they might send in a vintage shoe and it's they're being told it it's worn, or it doesn't pass inspection because it's actually just old and it's not fake and it's not worn. It's just how the shoe decays, but StockX goes, no, we're not going to sell this. We can't sell this shoe. It doesn't pass verification standards because maybe the workforce doesn't really know how to deal with the higher ticket rare items. Do you see that as like an issue? or?
3: Well, you know, I, I, would, I would say that, you know, we have th- – Three hundred authenticators, as I said, we have levels of authenticators, mm-hmm. and and we have a lot of authenticators that are OG authenticators that have been with us since the very beginning, um, and um, you know, and I would say every single day coming through StockX at any one of our authentication centers, uh, we have the most unbelievable grails that are coming through there. Every rare day. old stuff, you're saying, rare, not the typical r- rare, yeah. but never. You know, obviously for us, it's still dead stock condition, which means. The box has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. There can't be manufacturing defects. It can't be worn. It can't be used. It has to be in its original condition. So we will reject items for failing verification that doesn't meet all of those standards. Um, And so, yes, you might have that original rare. It might be crumbling. It might be in a damaged box. And it would get rejected by StockX for not meeting our verification standards. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I will tell you 100% is that that sneaker that's going to come through the authentication, particularly when you're talking about a sneaker that's you know, $500 to 1000 or more, which we're seeing every single day, yeah. um, it gets reviewed by uh, our most senior authenticators. And if it might be something that's super rare that we haven't seen for a long period of time, which, again, is not going to happen that often... Um, we, you can call any of our OG authenticators. They'll, they'll either look at it or they'll be working as a team to figure, it, to figure it out. But it is a rigorous, a rigorous process. I think if there's complaints about it, I think people don't like getting their sneakers rejected. Sure. I mean, they, they don't like the fact that <laughs> hey, this didn't meet the standard and we're rejecting a sneaker. And last year. I mean, just last year alone, yeah. we rejected 330,000 sneakers wow. for over a hundred million dollars, you know, worth of of transactions that could have gone through, but they failed our verification standards. And that's again where we're trying to set the standard for what dead stock would be. And it's mostly because this is what the buyer expects. If you're in a one of one scenario you might be able to show that buyer, hey, here's all of the imperfections associated with that sneaker. Mm. And you can have a conversation with that buyer to say, okay, I, I'm going to accept that scratch or I'm going to accept that dent or I'm going to accept that wear if you're selling a one-of-one one items. But when we're just essentially saying like, this is a sneaker that is in its original condition, that is the 100% expectation, Hard, not even a scratch.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like sometimes it's a little too tight? Because I feel like, there have been times when when I've sold stuff and it's like a little stitch is like a little bit off and it's just a slight manufacturer defect and I'm like, does the buyer even
3: care about that? Well, sometimes d- d- depending on the variance, yeah, we like sway suede, some, some, yeah, <laughs> suede. sometimes with the variance we will. Ask the buyer and say, yeah. "Hey, is this acceptable to you?" and and we'll will still complete the transaction. Mm, okay. Um, so so there is still an opportunity if you know, and, and it just really depends on what the and what what the what the situation is. But even damaged boxes, which is probably the most significant. Oh thing man! That sometimes we... Scott these boxes. <laughs> like so I gotta really? keep well, the boxes. Well, it's buy also, also oh, nice. because the boxes. The
0: boxes when I when when like if if that was like you know for someone who's not really good with like deciding what's fake or not or I'm not a verifier but mm-hmm. like the boxes crumpled and stuff that was like the biggest telltale for me mm. uh when I would see when when someone even if they were turning it at finish line you would be like this box is off yeah. but um that's interesting I, I don't know if anyone has a follow up but I wanted to know how often does that dialogue happen between buyer and seller in StockX like I you know oh this one and and is it like a maybe two questions is it like better safe than sorry where you may reject it's selling on the platform and then like it taking the chance you of, on
2: the side of just rejecting it. Yeah. And not like healing, you said, uh,
0: 330,000 shoes. Do you think some of them were erring on the side of caution that, and, and maybe being like, these are old or it doesn't fit our standards or to we're just verify. Sure. We're just not sure.
3: And yeah, I'm, I'm sure that would happen. Right. So, I
0: mean, sorry for
3: the, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a standard. Obviously we, what we don't want is subjectivity around what that standard would be. And mm-hmm. so, I'll give you just another example outside mm-hmm. of sneakers. So we had, we had originally for handbags accepted what we called excellent condition. And that okay. was a kind of a condition that you would see at eBay or others. And excellent condition meant excellent condition. It was pretty much brand new and there might be some small variance and it was tiny and it was maybe imperceptible. What we found is we would go through that verification process and in, and you would pass an excellent condition handbag and there was a minor scratch in it, and thirty percent of the times the buyer said, "This is not brand new." Wow. And so then we went in that category, we went to okay, we're going to eliminate excellent. We're only doing brand new, and then we saw our volume explode um, in in handbags. So it's just more of what the what the buyer expects of stock stockx yeah. is that perfect condition sne- sneaker. I think we do debate internally to say, should we loosen the standard on damaged boxes other platforms allow, for example, in, in damaged box? We, to date, have not done that, but we're looking at, at what level mm. of damaged box is okay because there's a lot of people that don't care well, about Well, I guess here, here's yeah. a yeah. good example yeah. like
2: related to what you're wearing. So say yeah. like the you have the... Two that po- box is tough. No, no, you have the 2.0 yeah. yeah. Mars yard is on, right? Yep. And a shoe that you also had like the 1.0 Mars mm. yard, right? But there's only a finite number of that shoe Mm -hmm. you know so to like to find maybe like a 12 and a half like an odd size and you have the 12 and a half and there may only be like a handful of pairs in existence and you know you want to sell it on the thing but the one pair in existence has a ding in the corner but they're dead stock they're real and it's just like through the standard that shoe's never going to be able to be sold through stock x
3: true i mean it's it's true so we yeah we we limit obviously Some market opportunity Mm -hmm. for us, and certain customers or certain sellers know that that's just not something that's going to be that's going to pass the standard at standard at StockX. But again, it it works really well at scale because you know our our standard is the expectation of the of the customer experience. And and what I can tell you is that being on the other side, where you have just a, a, a marketplace where anything can sell on a one of one subjectivity around those standards creates a really inconsistent experience because the buyer typically doesn't know who the seller is there's nobody in the middle to make mm-hmm. sure that things are right and there's a lot of bad buying experiences that are that are there well, another you know thing that you would ask like how much do we intervene between seller yeah. and buyer we're we're in the middle of the transaction so typically we would, if if we're going to reject a product, we've just rejected the product and it goes back to the seller. Sometimes there's a penalty associated with not meeting our standard or they didn't deliver the right product. And then with the buyer, that would be just between StockX and the buyer because it's an anonymous transaction between buyer and seller. The, the, the buyer doesn't know who the seller is. They just know that it's coming through StockX. So we feel as though our relationship is with that end customer. And that's what we're signing up to in terms yeah. of our promise. You, you mentioned
2: standards, but I think one of the things people know StockX for is like being able to buy shoes early, you know, the, being sold before release date. How do you dictate those standards then if you're not like a thousand, if the shoe hasn't actually physically come out yet to dictate that whether that early pair is actually real?
3: Yeah, so there's there's all sorts of, Things we could talk about related to a pre-release, because a lot of times the actual product is released at different times around the world. So, is an item that's released in Europe or an item released in Japan or uh, somewhere else a pre-release? If it hasn't been yet released in the United States, we would say no. It's been re- it's been released somewhere out in the world. Um, there's there's actually not a lot of volume of product that actually sells. Before the release, really um, I would and think so we be a have ton. we have a little bit of a longer time period associated with uh, when you can deliver that when the seller is required to deliver yeah. that. Um, but what I would say is that the the release date um, is, is sometimes is a little bit more vague in that there's a lot of product that's actually out there. Um, and 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 I think generally the 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 liquidity, so to speak, of items pre pre release is quite limited. Yeah. Um, and so, but you know, but but again, when you're talking about these releases, you know, take, talk about the big release of the year last year, the the Jordan Larrin Cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the release day, we'll see tens of thousands of pairs of those every day. Um, I mean that's the scale at which yeah. we are we're, we're going to see uh, these items coming through, and so we're able to set the standard for that authentication when we've seen so much in 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 volume. Because again, like this process is our own process, yeah. we 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 rec- create it. But when we see so much volume at scale, we're able to identify um, the aspects that we're going to need to look for. Do
1: you ever just go on there and? Buy a pair of shoes, you know, anonymously. Do you have a burner account, a StockX burner account, just to see how the how the process is? No, I actually
3: buy and sell on the on the on the the platform.
1: Do you you have a burner account? Is your name on it? That's the problem, though, because if they see the StockX or the you know,
3: yeah, uh, it has my home address. uh, (laughs) Our authenticators, I guess, would know who would know. I would hope they would know who I am. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I buy I buy and and sell on the platform. (laughs) I am a what's called a level four seller. Level four. Level four seller. Um, and the but the reason I buy and sell also is that what are you selling on there um i'll i'll if i get a if I get a release or something that I've held for a while, i'll you know I'll are you buy going it on and the resell sneakers it? app
2: and like trying to hit on shoes or yeah,
3: yeah yeah. yeah. What
0: come-ups are we looking? Yeah, at? Yeah, I want to see your
3: sneakers. What's a good you know, so, come up? Mean, Pull the, the
1: phone out.
3: Yeah, so the
0: um, Were you, I hope it wasn't the uh, Coral Studios 2.0 that I, <laughs> that I got a couple weeks. You know?
3: Yeah. So you know, so I do buy, I buy and sell, and it's mostly also to be able to identify things in that process that um, I, quality I just,
2: control sort of. Thing yeah. Or? I
3: mean, I I, I want to know how long it takes for me to get a product. Mm-hmm. I want to know where it's coming from. If there's a problem as a buyer or seller with with payments or delivery or something, I'm going to see. I want to see that transaction flow as a as a customer, Mm -hmm. and then I'll provide feedback to our product team to say, "Hey, you know, I was I was doing this and this on the platform. This didn't seem to work all that well, or it was more friction than we'd like." And and I'm a you know I'm into the product.
1: Okay, level four. I'm. (laughs) Yeah.
3: What's harder to verify, handbags or sneakers? Uh, I would probably say handbags, you know, only because sneakers. The volume that we, the volume that we see, it's not that it's an easy process. Right. But I would just say, from a volume perspective, the more that you see, the better the AI, the better the data, the better mm-hmm. the information Makes that sense. we would that we would have. You know, again, when you've got a data set that's yeah. tens of thousands and thousands versus hundreds, it's just a better data set to deal with.
1: Yeah. Scott, I feel like one of the things we have to talk about, the things that people come to this for is this lawsuit with Nike. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so Nike sued StockX last year. Originally, it was over this NFT program that you guys had. And then Nike amends the complaint and they add in all this stuff about fake sneakers. Uh, why Why is Nike doing this? What do you think is the real motivation?
3: Well, I mean, I, we're still in the middle of litigation. I'm really confident about our legal defenses. On the NFT side... What I, you know, we introduced a product that I think was really innovative mm. uh, at the time. And um, and that was really creating a certificate of ownership in the form of an NFT of an item that was held in a in a vault. And the reason we introduced that product is that there are a lot of owners and enthusiasts of sneakers that want to own it and not necessarily possess it. Um, in in the sense that I'm a I'm a collector, I don't want it to go through the process, and so we thought it was more. Uh, it's economically friendly, it's environmentally friendly, and it was how other assets trade. You don't actually have to physically possess it. Right. The use of an image associated with that to describe the product, I think, is at the core of at the core of this. And we still believe that we had the right to say, hey, this is a you know this is the product mm-hmm. this is the picture of the product and it's in the form of a certificate of ownership in an nft and that was the original uh basis i, mean, you, I believe but of But you a, easily a could have just
2: taken the picture off of it and created just like a, a form of ownership that didn't have involved the shoe the picture of the shoe itself i mean everyone knows what it is and you could have had a picture of the shoe just on the website that redirects to it without saying you own
3: that image well for for Fair use of uh, of, a, of an image. We use this on our product page. Every single product page yeah. shows you what the or item you, is. So it's you, just you
2: could use it in in that aspect, but not have the digital ownership piece be the the shoe. You
1: know.
3: Well. Yeah. The digital ownership represented the right to possess the shoe. And we just said, this is what the shoe is. So what about the fake part a... that Nike
1: brought in after? So, do you know, do you yeah. know about this? Like how they're actually doing this? Like, I know the first part of it was they were saying they were pairs of the bread patent Air Jordan one that they acquired on StockX that were fake. Do you think that Nike was buying and selling them to themselves? Or do you have any insight into how that happened?
3: So, I mean, I think that part of the story around verification, I'm excited about is just the the extensiveness and the thoroughness of our process around verification. I mean, yeah. And as I've said before, we, we verify every single product. Mm-hmm. Every single product goes through a rigorous multi-step inspection process. We want to make sure that that customer gets the product that they expect to be able to deliver. And we've rolled out additional protections where if in the event in the rare instance that we make a mistake mm-hmm. that we have a promise to our buyers that we've got your back and you get your money back in that in that instance and for so, those
1: specific pairs that Nike bought do you know if they planted those on there I, d- I don't, is, I that don't a, know. is that a theory I mean to me it, it was I, something that popped up when the lawsuit first had that aspect to it the questioning it online like, yeah right? that was the, the easiest way for Nike to do it would be to list a pair and then buy a pair of fakes on StockX.
3: So I would just say, if you're any user, and this mm-hmm. be any buyer on the platform, um, we have a, we have a promise or in the standard that we just talked about about mm-hmm. what we expect to be able to deliver. And again, if we were ever wrong in that process, we're stand by what we're going to provide for the customer, which mm-hmm. is a you know a promise that you'll get your money back and we'll take care of you. And that's. You know, whoever that buyer is, yeah. even if it were a brand. Even, br- even it if it were a brand. <laughs> yeah. Um, we that's the promise that we give to to the customers. And that's been everything about about StockX. So, you know, I'm confident in our in our in our process and I'm confident in the promise that we deliver to our buyers.
1: Do you think that StockX has a better authentication process than Nike?
3: Um well, I mean you think about it from a brand perspective. Um is that for uh, brands? Release product, and they create that product, design that product, sell that product, and that's what they're created for. Uh, most brands don't hold that product back like a bottle of wine, sure. and keep that product uh, for a long period of time, and nor care about that product once it's once and after it's been sold. Right, once it's in the marketplace. Um, and so, I think with with time, that process around verification is maybe more extensive. Mm-hmm. And most brands don't have the catalog of every product that's been released going back you know, decades. Yeah. And StockX as a platform has seen more in the resale market in this category than probably any other platform at scale. Uh, so we have the data. Uh, we or know what we're what we're looking for, and we've got the catalog of items, and that's what we do every single day. So I don't think it's a question of who's better or not at it. Yeah. It's just that this is the process that we go through for everything that's sold on the platform. And, I just I just thought it you know, was re, the cause... resale market is is a tough market yeah. in the mm-hmm. sense that you really have to know and understand who those sellers are, where is that product coming from, what is their history. Yeah you know and then and then actually looking at the product itself you have to know all aspects of that to do it well
1: yeah because one of the questions that i had and i have so many was looking at this lawsuit was nike kind of suggesting that they had an internal way to authenticate and i'm sure that's something that StockX is now questioning as well like does nike have a real internal authentication process like what does that look like
3: i i I don't know the answer to that question but i know i know our process and what it takes to to know that process again you have to have seen the entire catalog. Yeah, uh, you have to see it at scale. Uh, you have to actually know what you're looking for. And you know, I think prior to recent years, there was no also embedded technology in there right. as an well. An RFID chip or something yeah, like that. that, uh, that yeah, that would that would be maybe an easier way to say, "Oh, hey, I have scan this thing, and I've got some electronic read on that." That was, you know, that's in the only in the most recent years. Yeah. And when you look at StockX. More than sixty percent of the products that are sold on the platform are outside of its release window. So, and and, and again, that could go back into yeah. the eighties or the or the nineties, and so you'd have to have all of the data associated with that yeah. product to look at it.
1: Do you think that Nike wants to eliminate these secondary
3: marketplaces?
1: Do you think it wants to participate in them itself?
3: So, you know, the way I look at our position in the marketplace is that we have a direct relationship with a, with a great customer set, it's the next generation of consumers. Mm. Uh, these are consumers from countries all around the world, and we have a direct relationship with that consumer. And I think more and more that consumer has an expectation that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to get rejected when I want to buy that product.
1: From StockX.
3: From yeah. but 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 the consumer has an expectation. I see it on the feet of the an athlete, and I want that yeah. product. Yeah. And again, actually, you know, when 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 this next movie comes out, there's going to be a whole set of consumers that say, "Oh, I want that original Jordan." But that's oh, the that's definitely. the consumer that's the consumer expectation, and the brand and the retailer can't deliver against that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the reason that we exist is that this product isn't generally available anywhere else, and it's mm-hmm. not available anywhere else in a structured, trusted way. Not even from the brand, so I don't view us competing with the brand, but actually providing a real good indication for the industry in terms of. But do you think the brand wants to compete with
1: you? You know what I mean, like.
3: You know, I I, I think I think brands are focused, and I think this again, this is across all brands, not just you know, not just um, those in the sneaker business, but you know, brands have had to move into a digital world which means they need to be really good at app-based commerce, yeah, sneakers uh, mobile, uh, yeah. and you've got to be able to deliver that against a global customer base. So that means from a payments perspective, from a shipping perspective, from everything that's involved in that transaction, that's what e-commerce companies do. I mean, that's what the whole platform is designed to do. And most e-commerce companies do that better than brands. And so brands are now saying, hey, not only do we have to be digitally omni-channel, we also have a direct relationship with the customer. Mm-hmm. Well, if that customer has an expectation that I can get access to that product at any time and I'm willing to pay variable prices for it and you have to deliver that experience, marketplaces is probably the place where brands yet don't exist. yeah, Because of the fact that prices are variable, Inventory has to be always available. And that's not really in the DNA of any brand to to, to do that. Um, do you think so, Nike could? Sure. I think anybody could decide to do it. I think doing it well is challenging. I mean, marketplaces are the most difficult of experiences to manage mm-hmm. uh, because you're managing content that you don't own and you don't control, and you've got to put your reputation at the middle of that when you're not the one who's producing it, mm-hmm. owning it, or controlling the distribution. So you have a higher standard yeah. that you got to live up to.
0: Are you ever on the sneakers app and you're like, I think I have some changes that I could implement that could help fix this? Or make releases, not fix
3: it, but make releases go smoother? I would say as a, as a, as a buyer across releases, I think the challenge of not getting a release is is frustrating as part mm-hmm. of the experience, but it's also part of the excitement as well that I don't get everything that I want. Sure. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, part of fun. Uh, it, yeah. makes it, it makes it yeah. makes it fun. I mean, it's it's uh, if if everything was generally available and everything was just um, there, there be no scarcity, there would be no hype, and I think this is actually is a very deliberate strategy for brands to release product uh, in scarcity. Yeah. A
2: real question I think people want to know is how how do you authenticate the actual StockX tags? because <laughs> yeah, I feel, so, I yeah, feel yeah. like I feel like so often you like nowadays it's like you see yeah people selling and buying fake, fake StockX are, X yeah, tags. Are, are, you, are you you know you talk about Nike trying to shut down StockX, but are you out there on like the hint of like
3: there the may a, there may be an
2: overseas supplier <laughs> oh. making oh, StockX yeah. tags or something like that, and you're out there trying to take them down or
3: yeah, so the answer is yes, and I think what's great about StockX is, is now it obviously is a brand, and it's a globally recognized brand, and it's a globally recognized brand for trust as well. And so, when a sneaker has a StockX authentication tag, whether or not that's it's it's a real tag or not, there is a higher sense from the consumer that oh, this is like a legit uh, product. And so we have uh, brand protection folks now that we're looking at those you know, those tags and where those tags also might be uh, duplicated. And there's counterfeit tags that, that exist out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking at all sorts of different technologies as now our own brand to sit there and say, oh, how do we uh, make sure that we can understand the providence of that tag associated with that sneaker or that other collectible item um, and as you know on the back of uh, of tags also there's a there's a QR code on there that's actually linked to that
1: scan it to yeah. that
3: to that product but I think we're looking at other as other brands are you know as we're a brand looking at other technologies that we can use to make sure we know, Again, the history of that tag. You ever
0: have the urge to just step out with the tag hanging from the mars yards, or no? Have you ever
3: worn the stock
0: kept the stock x tag and went out? I have
3: a number of sneakers that I keep the stock x. Do you wear it out? I do. Okay, I do. I mean, it's. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a bit of a commercial, but right. <laughs> I, I think there are. I'm trying to trying to think of what I have on there. By, um yeah, I've got I've got a number of sneakers okay. that I just keep that I keep on. They happen to be more more like a new release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. if it's just been released, uh, I might have have uh, purchased a stock. Somebody asked no. you about it. Do you tell them like if I'm, if yeah, I'm the man over there? If I'm speaking to a group of students somewhere, okay, I'll I'll have it on there. You know, it probably decreases my credibility. <laughs> you ever <laughs> you, you, you
2: ever do the off-whites where you have the zip tie on one and then the stock X tag on the other? <laughs> well, I'm a
3: huge fan of off-whites, and yeah. I, oh, the zip tag always stays on, but I cool. would not have our tag Okay, side. a little too much. I Get a little, little too too crowded. A little crowded. I know, I, I, know, I know
2: competitor, but also you know your former employer. Did you see in the, the Air Movie uh, trailer that they, they accidentally left the eBay sneakers tag on one of the vintage shoes? Yeah,
1: um, there was an authentication tag on a, on, on a pair of shoes yeah in, 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 the, in the trailer wealthy spotted it they're gonna they're gonna CGI it out there interesting. by the time it, it interesting. Like I, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen it <laughs> Scott I want to talk a little bit more about the relationship between Nike and StockX because like I said it's really interesting to me and I think that yeah I think that a lot of people want to know about one of the things that's been alluded to in in the lawsuit is that at one point Nike considered StockX to be not only a, a reliable authentication partner, but also a possible investment or something that Nike wanted to invest in. Is, yeah. is there a period where Nike wanted to invest in or acquire StockX?
3: Um, well, maybe I'll go back a little bit further because I think this is where my background experience at, at, at StubHub is at least you know, something, something at least I think about, which mm. is um, I think from our position, we would love a partnership, and love partnerships with with brands. StockX, any brand, yeah. yeah StockX, yeah. Um, yeah. And why is that the case? Because, you know, I think obviously we want to do our job well. I think we um, are part of the industry. I think we land a lot of credibility to to brands, and I think when I when I look at my time, you know, at StubHub, it was an important time to create those levels of partnerships that actually enabled us to more at that kind of authenticate a ticket mm-hmm. because it was integrated in that experience. And in those partnerships came uh information sharing, data sharing, customer sharing, uh and a and a higher and an even higher level of trust. So we are a hundred percent open to yeah. uh the idea of partnerships with brand along all of those lines that mm-hmm. could be economic and data relationship driven. So we would be open we would be open to that. Um, have those been been a, a meaningful side, particularly as, you, as you're asking? I would say no, no. not yet. Um, but I but I do hold uh, hope that um, as you know, StockX continues into the future, that we'll have more and more partnerships like that, yeah. because of our reputation for essentially what I believe is upholding the brand promise as well. That we're here to protect. The brand itself. I mean, mm-hmm. we want our customers to get the product that they expect, which would be protecting the brands that are sold on our platform. It was just a
1: surprising thing because I had never heard that before, and there was this illusion that maybe Nike was wanting at one point to invest in StockX. I, d-
3: I don't think that's ever been. I don't think that. I don't think that's ever been a discussion. Yeah, you, not to my knowledge. Yeah. How do you look at uh, Goat Stadium Goods Flight Club? As as
2: as companies, just in general, competitors, other.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're we're all part of this same uh, the same ecosystem. I think it's it's much more expansive than that when you look outside of the United States. I mean, there's um, you know there's Sneaker Dunk in Japan, there's Cream in Korea, there's Poison in China, uh, there's a bunch of competitors in Europe, um, you know, and I think all these other. All the other platforms have quite of a different take on what they're trying to deliver for their customers. You know, I would say from a, from a stockx perspective, um, our catalog reflects what we call current culture. So we obviously trade other things other than sneakers, so apparel, accessories, trading cards, uh, electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our catalog is much broader than most of those other platforms. And I think what's what's interesting, maybe on more on the retail side, is that there is, again, part of our standards mean that um, there are certain types of conditions of experiences that customers might want that we're not able to deliver. And that might be in a walk-up experience in a retail location uh, or it might be a different type of condition of a of a sneaker that somebody might want, and I think we'll we'd be looking at that over time. If you know anything about our retail locations, they're more of a seller drop off. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. A Seller yeah. sold it. Well, I know it, it well. <laughs> yeah, so sell, sell it, drop it off, and we have those, and we have one in in Tokyo, mm. Uh, mm. in Hong Kong. And the Tokyo one's awesome. I'll, I'll go check it out. Okay, yeah. He'll be I'll be there. there. For, I'll be there. Uh, Harajuku. I mean, it's okay. Right in there. Give right him in the a list. Can you
0: give him a list of itinerary? Yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> because of the drop off. Then you know the, exactly. The,
3: exactly. <laughs> I was just there. In, uh, <laughs> there you go. I was just there in November. It's incredible. I love Tokyo. Of but, course, of course. But anyways, but I was just going to say that our retail experience is more of a, a seller service to drop off than a buying experience where you could go in and and buy it because. I guess when we look at those, you know, the, the sneaker retail stores, we just don't think you can duplicate the experience on StockX because typically you would go in there and there's probably nothing that you could buy for cheaper than what, what, what you would on StockX. Mm-hmm. Right. But the only difference might be the time it would take to yeah, get, you it get it at, that's, versus you know, buying it right there. The and you're going to pay a premium for it.
0: <laughs> the prices in the stores are always higher than StockX yeah. because you get to leave with it, which yeah. is, you know, Um, My show, Sneaker Shopping, comes up uh, a lot, but um, yeah.
1: Do you think that there's some work to do in terms of regaining people's trust at StockX right now? Because I feel like when... I'm going to keep going back to the lawsuit. Yeah, 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 that's fine. (laughs) Um, When the lawsuit happened and you have Nike saying StockX is letting fake sneakers through, I think that confirmed for a lot of people the fear they had that fake sneakers were prevalent on StockX. And to me, I've seen it damage the reputation in terms of like how much people have confidence that they can go there and get a real shoe every time. Do you feel like you have work to do to rebuild that?
3: So, if you've if you noticed over the last couple of months, we've been very deliberate about communicating out to the customer that our process around verification is something that we've always had. Mm-hmm. Uh, we continue. And it, and it is a process, so it is more descriptive to call it verification because we're looking at all sorts of different things, which is, you know, a, a damaged box, is it the right. right size, is it the right color, uh, is a manufacturing defect, and is the product genuine? Um, just focused on one aspect of that we thought was more limiting uh than the actual process that we that we do mm-hmm. uh, is this like and, in
1: terms of because i know there was a thing where they changed the language on the website used yeah, to say 100 yeah. percent mm-hmm. authentic just new in box now or...
3: it, it, we, we describe it today as a verification verification process it was just more descriptive of the process that we uh that, that we go through not a change in change yeah. in process and I it think felt like a
1: thing that happened in response to nike saying there are fake shoes and then it's like wait a minute nobody can really guarantee that 100 percent of everything on the thing is
3: authentic right we've i mean we've we've disclosed out there publicly um just just like i said earlier the number of products that we were that we reject every single year yeah um and we've been very transparent around around that we even actually include the top reasons for that rejection, which if you looked at that uh, manufacturing defect, wrong product, wrong size, are all rank higher than whether or not a product is genuine or not.
1: But this isn't about the ones that people Have rejected this is about people being worried that fake stuff is getting through, right? I think,
2: I think, even early on, when Josh was pressed on that, when people would say, you know, you say it's 100% authentic, and he would be like, you know, well, it's 99.9% authentic, but even if it's 99.9% authentic, if we sell a million shoes, that means there's still X amount of, yeah. Product out there is that the way that you view it? Yeah, I would or? just
3: you know the way I would describe it when you when you look at the scale of the platform again over a million transactions in a month. In the rare circumstance where after all of that process that we've gone through, if we have failed the customer in that in that rare instance, mm-hmm. then we're going to make it right. Mm-hmm. And I think for us to be able to describe a process of here's all the stuff that we go through to verify a product. And if we in the rare instance have made a mistake, we're gonna make it right. That is sort of our, you know, promise to the to the buyer. Hmm. Uh do you think the buyer believes that right that. now? Um I think among marketplaces, uh StockX has the highest standard for what that means. Hmm. Um and you know and I, and and I think that's what we have got to continue to reinforce and yeah. and and stand behind so the fact that we might be questioned uh, about that for us again is just more of a call to action of the importance of the role that we play for the customer in protecting that experience yeah. and that's what our entire brand stands for what what happens internally then when you know a fake
2: like a fake fake shoe gets through not wrong size wrong color etc mix up in there like so a bad one yeah an authenticator
0: authenticates
2: oh. a fake pair of tom Sachs mars yards and then sells it and now it's a whole fiasco because i know we get it all the time you know where people in our dms and mentions saying i have this issue with stock x oh. etc cetera, etc so but um
3: what happens when that? Yeah, do you yeah. go
2: to the authenticator and try to figure out what happened? Like I'm sure you know who authenticated the shoe, et cetera. We
3: we we have an entire chain of custody that knows exactly. I mean, from when that product came into our, to when it was dropped off at a UPS center, yeah. to when we received it in the authentication center, we know exactly the process, who's authenticated, and all the way out to when it left and went on the truck. We mm. we know exactly what's what's going on. So in an instance where a customer says, Hey, this product is not as I expected. Uh, again, he's part a of pro our,
1: cause he hasn't used the words fake or Nike once.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying it's just so cross everything. If, yeah. if a product, anybody that says, Hey, this product, you know, it, if this product is fake yeah. or this product is not what I ordered, but just solely, we're so, solely,
2: but solely just talking about fake shoes, not, not talking about, not what I expected, et cetera, but just. The fake, like the worst of the worst happens. You sold or you authenticated and sold someone a fake pair of shoes. Yeah.
3: And that, in that, in that process, so the buyer would, buyer could contact us Mm -hmm. and it goes right to our customer service. And as part of our buyer promise, which we put prominently on our website, they send that, uh, send that sneaker back and they get their, they get their money back. Yeah. Um, And so, and in, but the behind the scenes of that is that we're doing a full breakdown of that product. And when we get it back, we'll actually look and see um, who authenticated that product. We'll go back and look at that. The actual authenticator, each one of our authenticators, by the way, they're they're measured by how well, like quality of what they do. Do you have like a three strikes rule or something well, like it's that? Well, it's just more like those, uh, you have to remember those authenticators, their heart, their soul, their everything they do is to make sure that they've done a great a great job and they're super passionate they love what they what they do when any of a product that is ever rejected by a customer it goes back to that authenticator to say hey you authenticated this product we're able to look through it but they look at that so it's not just this this uh, this this black hole. Yeah, like it goes back to an individual person who authenticated that product, and so our team takes a ton of pride uh, in 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 that in that uh, in that effort. And there are all sorts of technology and controls, yeah. you know, around to make sure that they can do that job better. Um, but but again, we're you know, anytime that happens, we're gonna we're gonna look at that product. But the but the buyer doesn't have to worry about it because there's 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 we're going to have their back and they're going to get their their money back um and that's again that's the promise
1: is stockx agnostic about the gray market because i think that one of the reasons why maybe nike is concerned about things like that is stockx can play a part in this process that we all know that happens but a lot of stores won't ever acknowledge it is that shoes get backdoored right i own a sneaker boutique and i got a bunch of limited product from nike and Instead of selling it to my customers, I'm going to do the easier thing and make some more money and sell it on StockX. Does StockX care about that? Do you think that Nike cares that that's happening, like this gray market stuff? Because I know Nike yeah. is invested in in you know monitoring the gray market or shoes that get backdoored and things like that. Do y'all care
3: about that? Well, you mean do we care whether or not a product is backdoored? Yeah. Or not? So for for us we wouldn't know i mean yeah. we, we we wouldn't we wouldn't know i mean if it came from where that,
1: you know if, a, the if, if there's one person who has An 100 pairs of tiffany air force 1s before they release i feel like it's reasonable to conclude that it's a store you know
3: well, when you when you look at the the profile of the sellers, it ranges from a consumer seller yeah. uh, to sellers that run a business to yeah. sellers that actually might even have a retail presence in a retail store um, that might have relationships actually directly with the brand to get mm. that to get that product. And so, we would have a history of knowing um, what that seller looks like, what their what their pattern is mm-hmm. of selling, where that product is is has been released, but. The brands are in control yeah. of their distribution. The brands are in control of who they distribute to and why, and that's their policies. That's not necessarily something that is a, yeah. a stock X policy. The headache of releasing then, shoes, an would, but, you but you could also that. have
2: the reality too of like product being stolen and then sold through Stock X, and I'm sure that that would be a whole legal head trauma of you know. Yeah. Hat. So
3: so so for. For for us, um, as a as a participant in the industry, uh, we are not a platform that condones or supports or would in any way uh, want to be able to highlight a product that is obtained um, yeah. Yeah. through any of those methods. So if we know that or if we have suspicions of that, um, or if we have, um sellers that have fraudulent activity or trying to act in nefarious ways they're mm-hmm. kicked off the platform um, and that we would also work with law enforcement in instances where that might be the case. Yeah. That's
0: what happened with the Cherry Air 11. Yeah. Correct. And what was that like process like it just what you just said like you worked with the you knew that these robberies were happening and um, you worked with like law enforcement.
3: We we shut down trading of that of that product after those those instances happened, and then we would work with law enforcement in the event that we had any belief that this product was improperly sourced.
1: It just seems like such a hard thing to determine, right? Like where yeah. where did any yeah, given person get a shoe from? You
3: but know? It, but in instances like that, where it's just so well known, and it was pr- a pre-release product. We had the the product page up, and we, we we just took it down and just didn't support trading of the of the product at that time.
1: Yeah, when is StockX going public?
3: <laughs> so <you laughs> I know, keep
1: hearing about it. every every six months, I get these little whispers. I'm like, should we publish this? People are saying it's uh, finally time.
3: Yeah, so I, I've been in the capital markets for most of yeah. most most of my career. You know, right now in the the, the public markets, I think the. IPO market is closed for all companies, and certainly all technology companies. Hey, you They're, don't have to tell me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. interest rates, inflation, consumer confidence, I mean, it's obviously a really challenging time. So all of those things need to turn for yeah. any company to, um, you know, to, to to go public. Um, so, so for us in this, in this market, we're focused on executing yeah. through this through this environment. Building out our global network, investing in product and innovation.
1: It's somewhere somewhere Um, on the plan, though, right? One year, two years, what are we looking at? We've
3: had lots of different conversations in the media around that ultimate, um, ultimate plan, but I'd say right now we're just focused on executing since the market is closed.
1: Yeah.
0: You've dealt with so many industries and occupations that are like really consumer based, but also passion based, where do you put like sneakerheads in terms of how passionate they are about like consuming and sneaker culture and things like that? You know, even StockX now has watches and handbags, but where do you put the sneaker consumer in terms of passion? And like, we deal with it a lot, like critique and things like that.
3: Well, there are a lot of different categories where there's passionate enthusiasts here. This is a really exciting place to be. To me, this is, I mean, we're all older than the core demographic of Stockx, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean our core customer, um, 65% are under the age of 35. a growing percentage of those now 35% are women. Mm-hmm. Um, this next generation of consumers, you know, Gen Z to Gen A uh, are coming into the market, uh, inspired by what they see on social media and coming to a platform like Stockx. And so they are as enthusiast, uh, as any yeah. as, as any group uh, has been, and it's also what's exciting when you look at the next ten years. This is also the mind share, the wallet share of this next generation about how they consume. Yeah. Um, and I think what's been exciting about this category is it's always been an enthusiast, uh, but it's but it's now actually people that say. Well, do I want to invest in a share of stock, or do maybe I want to invest in this asset, this collectible, yeah. this this item that can actually increase in value over time? It could be part of my you know quote portfolio, yeah. and I think that's kind of a, a different type of consuming that we've enabled. That's pretty exciting for this next generation of consumers. So I'm really optimistic about about that.
0: Do you yeah. get when people say I don't? own a lot of stocks, but I have a lot of shoes that are valuable over time. Is that like a real thing? Like you just said portfolio. I've heard people say like, yeah, maybe I'm not big on the stock market, but I have shoes that are worth a lot and are going to only be worth more over
3: time. This is the part of StockX that I just love the most, which is you hear the stories of people who, this is their livelihood. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're putting themselves through college, supporting themselves or their family, uh, on this as a, as a passion category. So you could make a career out of this. Uh, you could support yourself, mm-hmm. uh, d- uh, doing this and you could have a lot of fun along the way, but you know, the, the, the stories of the type of people that are buying and selling and the economic opportunity that, unlo- that it unlocks for them, uh, is as broad as you could imagine. Um, and, and particularly as you go outside of the United States, um, and that's where you know we we see it, um, and it's really exciting. That's why we opened up in Mexico as an example, Mexico City, where you know, there's just a whole set of of sellers there that now have this opportunity to get the grill, get the W, and yeah. and and maybe make some money along the way.
1: Yeah. Um, last question I have. Sorry, again, if you know me, I'm obsessed with the sneaker lawsuit, so yeah. I gotta just check all these <laughs> off. Um, and maybe you feel like you're testifying right now, but. I saw in there that you know they had former sneakers boss Ron Ferris, who heads up Nike Virtual Studios. He had to testify, you know, during uh, discovery. Have you have you had to have you had to do that? Have you had to testify?
3: Well, me, me yeah, personally, yeah. Have they, have they tried oh, to bring I, you I, in? I can't comment on, on 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 the litigation, but you know, we're we're still we're yeah. still involved with it. You
1: can't even comment on whether or not they would bring you in and have to ask you a bunch of questions.
3: Not yet. Not yet. Fair enough.
2: I guess the last thing. you talk about the. Um, the portfolios and all that sort of stuff and talking about the nfts and people never wanting to own the physical shoe i feel like that's one criticism that people talk about where people who want to buy and own the shoes like uh, enabling that culture where sneakers are viewed as not actual things that are worn they're just viewed as a stock market Mm -hmm. where no one actually owns them anymore and they're just bought and sold that it almost like enables a side of sneaker culture that takes the
3: consumer out of it. Do you do you see that criticism? Yeah, I I I get that as a as an argument, but I guess what I would say is that you know, the the sneakerhead who's got that collection of boxes in the closet um is is effectively holding on to that asset as a as a quote trader. At some point in time they might decide to uh, to sell that item, and they may never even actually look into the box and know that it's that it's there. And there's people that own thousands of pairs of, of sneakers. And I don't want to put any shade on the, the the folks that, hey, collect and they're collecting it for value over time. You know, I think as we looked at what we wanted to try and enable, however, is that the transit of for those types of individuals that want to consume or trade that way, the transit of an item when you don't want to actually um, show it off or mm-hmm. you just want to actually trade it, why have it fly around the world, go through all this process when you can just have a certificate of ownership around it? And so that's, I think we would really just wanted to enable a more efficient way to, to do that for that type of customer that that's what they're trying to achieve. When you talk
0: to your old friends at the stock exchange, do you ever say like, you know, I used to, I used to <laughs> trade stocks. Now I trade sneakers. And then you have to contextualize. What is a stock stock exchange?
3: No, I mean, my a lot of my team that worked for me is still there mm. at, the, at the New York Stock Exchange. I keep in touch uh, with them. I think they, a lot of people in the exchange space, um, appreciate what we're what we're trying to do because they actually understand innately what a live, real-time marketplace looks Mm -hmm. like. And even, actually, for those on the derivatives or the commodity side who say, well, this is actually how oil trades. Oil Mm -hmm. barrels don't move around the world for traders. They stay in the same place, and you're trading a contract. So actually, I think that part of my career Mm -hmm. understands deeply some aspects of what we're trying to to accomplish. as well as, you know, those that are just the the sneaker enthusiasts. But be, there's a whole side to this that financial markets have figured out, you know, a long, long time ago that we're, you know, just now ca- catching up to.
0: Yeah. Scott, really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your candidness. And, yeah, uh, I mean, again, yeah. I again, mean, He's very excited to, when we have CEO. Uh, yeah, you know, I appreciate it. You know, yeah. Yeah.
1: You're a busy, man. These people who run these companies, like I said, these captains of industry, they're busy people. So when they can come down to our level at the Complex Sneakers Podcast and talk to us about what's really going on, we so appreciate that. Definitely. Thanks,
0: Thanks man. Set. Appreciate you giving us uh, your time. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, everyone. This has been the Complex Sneakers Podcast. We hope everyone has a great weekend. Please like, subscribe. We will see you next week. Our producer is David Matthews. Our associate producer is Jillian Hardman Webb. Audio editing done by Haley Choi. Special thanks to Jen Stewart, Shiva Bayet, and Haley Choi. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network.